0: everybody. This is Matt Wallace again with FSI Ministries, uh, our episode two in our interview series with our missionary partners, our ministry partners from abroad. And today, I'm excited to bring uh, to you Doug Harold. Doug is the director of Hands of Grace Ministry in, based out of Antigua in Guatemala. And uh, Doug is a longtime friend, a former uh, Taylor grad. Um, uh, we actually... C- probably crossed paths when we were students and don't remember it, Uh, but uh, Doug and Holly have been close friends for over a decade uh, now with uh, our family. We come from the same home church, Arcadia Christian Church in Arcadia, Indiana. And um, so, Doug, uh, hello.
1: Hey, Matt. Thanks. uh, Thanks for having me.
0: And we also have on here our FSI intern, Joel Van Dyke. Joel, you can say hello as well. Hello, everyone. And Joel and I are going to be talking to Doug today and just asking him some questions. Our goal in this series is just to bring awareness to these uh, ministries. You know, uh, I heard Joel's dad when we were talking last week, we... um, we're talking about the idea of being a Barnabas, you know, the, a son of encouragement. And that's really what I feel our our calling is with FSI is to come alongside these ministry partners and uh, just provide encouragement, and especially during this time of pandemic. Uh, we all have our way of dealing with things here in America and we have our struggles. Uh, but then when you talk about a third world and you talk about the challenges that are going on in those regions um, and, and we want to get some insight into that. And one little side note before I let Doug really talk is um, for those of you that are listening that are, are tied to, to us at FSI, Doug and Holly and their family were huge inspirations for us as we took this plunge into friendship sports. And I'm no, by no means equating moving to Grand Rapids to do college ministry and to do, do what we do in terms of what they did. But as you hear their story, one of the reasons I want you to, to, to hear their transition to Antigua is it was a, it was a huge blessing to us to take a leap of faith and, and pursue what we felt God was calling us to do. So Doug, it, it, that's a lead in to this, you know, just kind of tell a little bit about your family, who they are and your journey from Indiana United States to
1: Guatemala. Sure sounds good, so my journey to 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 come in here to Guatemala has been a um it's it has it, it really been quite a journey to to be to be honest we as i've met missionaries as I've been on the missionary field, many of them tell me the story that they knew from the time that they were young that they wanted to be a missionary they wanted to go into the ministry and that was that was not my story at all in in fact. Uh, you know, I really didn't become a Christian until my early twenties, and and so my my story is a little bit different than than a lot of people that I've met here on the mission field. Really, God used to really not only for me for 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 the ministry and for the mission field, and the first is is the year that my wife and I got married. My wife, Holly, uh, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, lupus. And that first year was just a a whirlwind for us because she had a series of, of health issues. And um, we really faced those for the next several years. Fortunately it's in remission now, but she was, she was faced with all kinds of health issues and she just did not feel well. And, um, it was during that time. And and I didn't really realize it at the time, but that would really kind of shape and and move the direction uh, of our family. And so right away she was diagnosed with kidney disease that first year, which was caused by the lupus. And she, she went through chemotherapy. So right out of the gate, our marriage was, was really tested and, um, and so that, that next year and a half and even, and even longer after that, uh, we were really faced with some, some challenges. The the second thing that really God used an event in our life to really, to really, you know, test our faith and build our faith too, is, um, we lost two children at childbirth and this was really the effect of her lupus. Um, she has a, it makes it difficult to we she she had had trouble getting pregnant but when she did it it was a high-risk pregnancy and when when the delivery came it was it it was you know it was unfortunate but but both times uh the babies died at birth uh the first was really difficult it was just one of those things where we were just completely devastated and it was really 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 hard for my wife because she felt guilty and she felt like you know she had really let let me down and that wasn't the case um but God used those two two events those two times that that we lost babies at birth to really um but for me it was one of those things where It was like God, I, I can't take anymore. To the point where it built it from from the ground up into something that you know, you know, He really did an incredible work in us and through us through that time. And so those th- those two events were were really challenging. And then the last one, which wasn't as it wasn't a, a tragic event, but it was an event that or some things that happened was through our adoption. So because we couldn't have magical kids, uh, we, we built our family through adoption. And if you would ask me this when I was younger, if if I would have adopted children, I would have said, no way, that, that's not something that I'd want to do. And then if you would tell me I have two internationally adopted children, I would be like, that just seems crazy. So, but God through that adoption, um, you know, I really... Began, began to understand God's love for me and unconditional love. It's hard to explain, but really through, through that adoption, I learned a lot about God's love and his grace. And um, that was really then through those adoptions, he, he was starting to put the plans into place uh, for, for our call to ministry. Our very first child, Maya, she's adopted from Guatemala where we're at now um he used that to 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 move us um but my second son cooper he's adopted as well but it's a domestic adoption and then my youngest sarin she's adopted from congo africa so our our family looks very different um and and matt you know that too because you you know your family's kind of built that way too and so when we go to restaurants you know it's always people are looking at us and (laughs) And, and, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, but that's fine. And, and so, um, but he really used those events, I think, to really build our faith, build and do something in us that really prepared us for ministry. And so um, I'm going to fast forward. And after about, I don't know, you know, 15 years in, in corporate America, God was really then starting to work on this call a more specific call specifically for me and the family. And I wrestled with it for a couple of years before I even shared it with my wife, Holly, because, you know, she was still dealing with the lupus and I just knew that, man, this is not something that she's going to be in agreement with. And I remember the conversation where we sat down and had it, we were at a restaurant and I said, Hey, this is something I really feel like God's putting on my heart. And uh, she laughed and said, that's never going to happen and change the subject. And so we didn't talk about it again for a long, long time. And I remember my prayer at that time was, God, you either have to take this desire away from me. You have to take the stirring that you're doing in me, or you have to change her heart. And once I kind of got to that point and kind of surrendered that to God, then that's when he started to put pieces into place for her. And um, so just a few years later, um, I, I informed my boss and I had worked at the same company for about 18 years and told them, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm moving on to something different. And we put our house up for sale and, and we started, uh, we started the process of, of raising funds, not only for our family, but for what would become our, our new ministry. Yeah, <clears throat>
0: that's an awesome story. And I, I, I've, heard it multiple times and i think it's important to to put into place that you know they they had gotten to a point where you know from an american standpoint it was all there he had a good job they had a great house they had built it custom built home you know just a great situation but god was continuing to st- to stir um i can remember sitting with you in a restaurant and you were wrestling with what is that what does it all look like you know mm-hmm. and and how God has continued to to even to today to to unfold and unpack this. How many years have you been in Guatemala now?
1: Um, we moved in December of 2014, so we're this is our sixth year.
0: And in six years of being there, kind of transition us to now Hands of Grace Ministries, and kind of what what the vision and ministry is of what you do, you know, uh, you know, just kind of give us a snapshot of what God has done in that journey.
1: Sure. That, that, that's good. So, you know, kind of our tagline for what our mission is is offering friendship and hope to families living in impoverished communities. And, you know, that's just something that we've written down that, you know, you need to kind of write down to kind of keep you kind of going in the right direction. But really what that means is a couple things is one, when we talk about friendship, our ministry is about relationship. It is about uh investing in the same kids and in the same families day after day. I mean, there's ministries out there that kind of move from from community to community. Um and, and that's fine. But but ours has always been about has been very relational and, and we try and pour into the same we we really um there's really two main communities that, that we work with. We work with the same families. We have about, uh, in one community, there's about 40 families and the other one, we have about 15 and, and we just pour into them. We pour into the kids, we pour into the, the parents and they know that, um, you know, we're, we're right there with them. And when they have issues or problems, they have my number and, and, and we talk through things and, you know, I've had some, you know even parents have had some really co- tough conversations with me about things that they're dealing with and i love that because they know that we have their best interests, and um and so it it's good to build relationships like that and and when we do that when we have when we have those true relationships then when we have programs that's that's where i believe that that the power of the gospel really comes in because we're not here like some Americans that are coming to, to save the day, right? And, and that's not what we're about. And so through these communities, through these relationships, we're trying to meet some of the, the, the big needs that they have. And, and one of those is malnutrition. Um, in, these, in these rural villages, malnutrition is, is a big problem. And, and when I sit, when the the malnutrition that we see here in Guatemala is what they call chronic malnutrition, which is probably a little bit different than what we think of, you know, I remember growing up and seeing the photos of, of little kids in Africa And, and those are acute malnutrition where they have no food at all. So, you know, they've, their face is kind of sunken in and they kind of have the bulging belly and then you can see the bones in the arms and legs. That's not what we see here in Guatemala. Um, they have enough to get by, they, they eat, but they don't get the nutrients and proteins that they need. And so mm-hmm. what we see is we see what they call stunting. They're, they're smaller physically. Uh, they do know that it affects brain development, things like that. The Their main diet focuses around corn. And so, um, and, and corn really, there's not much there nutritionally. And so, one of the things that we've done in in one of the villages where we've seen a lot of sickness, a lot of malnutrition is we started a feeding program. And so, we, uh, right now, we've grown considerably, we have about 150 that we feed three times a day, or three, (laughs) three times a week. And so over, you know, we do about 10 to 12,000 meals a year. And, again, the main purpose you know, we, we want to address the malnutrition in the medical, but we use this as a way to connect with them and be able to share God's love with them. And and so, through that, through our feeding center, we have a preschool. So we're teaching kids about, you know, just getting them ready for school, but we also are teaching them Bible, um, teaching them Scripture. They're learning Scripture, and so that's a really important part of of what we're doing. Uh, we also do a lot medically you know, we do see a lot of sickness. We see a lot of, you know, yesterday I spent the day taking a, a girl around. She had a really bad eye infection and she went for treatment and just wasn't getting the treatment she needed. And so, you know, they don't have the funds to do it. And so we spend a lot of time taking people to doctors and, and getting medical treatments. And again, this is a thing that's, um, you know, some things that we take for granted, I think, as Americans, but just being able to help with this medical treatment making, you know, a lot of, ta- a lot of times it's life saving, life changing. And so again, that gives us a way to connect with them on a deeper level and, and share God's love with them. And so that's, that's, you know, another important part of what we do. And then lastly, education in general, uh, most people, especially in the rural areas, uh, kids, if they make it to the sixth grade is considered a success. Uh, majority of them, quit after sixth grade, what we try and do is invest in kids that want to keep studying. And so I think right now we have about 10 scholarship students um, that are in seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th. Tw- so we've got them all the way up from junior high into, into high school. Huh. And what we're saying is we're trying to pour into them and, and, and give them an opportunity to, um, you know, really really the vision that we have is God would use our ministry uh, to transfer, transform hearts, lives, families, and communities, and so by pouring into these people from an education and these the younger generation uh, with education, we think that you know they, they really do have a, a potential by, um, you know, through through a relationship with Jesus and with uh you know with 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 a diploma they can really t- begin to, to transform their communities. So that that's really what we're trying to do. And in, in, in our ministry. And then one, one last thing I'll I'll add is a big part of our ministry is, is that it's not just me and it's not just my wife. It's, it's our entire family. So my, my kids are very involved in ministry. So Maya, who's 15, she helps teach. She actually helps me put together the Bible lessons Um, Cooper, he helps with doing worship and, and doing guitar and playing with the kids at the feeding center. Um, and even Saren at eight years old, she's very involved in our ministry. So they're, they're fluent in Spanish. They're very involved in, in our ministry. And to me, that's very important because the calling that I felt was not just for me, it was for our entire family.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I think one of the things that's important to hear is just, uh, wherever God calls, it's just, you know, continuing to ask him to cultivate that calling, continuing to ask him to, to, to stir hearts and minds. Cause when you, when it first began, it wasn't like you had the, the blueprints all laid out and he continues to, to lay those out before you as, as you meet people. I, I know that one of your things that you've enjoyed doing is just training and raising up leaders. You, you, you've actually hired, some people, and uh, I know at least one that you've now sent off to do his own thing uh, that are Guatemalan, that your job isn't to come and just be this American Savior, but to really stir in the hearts of the locals to take care of each other. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's been a real important, what I'd say, kind of value, a principle of our of our ministry is we really want to pour into to local leaders. Because uh, we know down the line, you know, I don't know if that's five years from now or Four years from now, we won't be here. But what we want to be able to do is is leave a kind of a thumbprint, really God's thumbprint, through our ministry on the people in the communities here. And I think the best way to do that is is to pour into to local leaders. And so that we've been very, very um, diligent and, and focused in, in doing that. And so um, even, for example, in our feeding center, we don't run our feeding center we actually pay women from the village to run it. They're in charge of it. And so we kind of pour into them and then they run the feeding center and that's how it's going to be successful. Hmm. Um, and we have, you mentioned one of, you know, we, we hired a a, a young Guatemalan who joined us about four years ago and um, we, we kind of kicked him from the nest and we said, listen, you're ready to fly. You're, you're ready to, to go on your own and do your own ministry. So he and his wife have their own ministry and their ministry looks very similar to ours, which is kind of neat and, and kind of to your point, what you mentioned, you know, I'm, I don't want to sit here and say that, um, or people to think, you know, that I, that, that we've done all these great things. It's really cool to see what God has done through us, but, you know, for us, you know, the big success I believe in our ministry is that we've just been willing to be obedient. And that's what God calls us all to do. You know, we're all called, we have different callings, but we're all called to be obedient. And so, um, you know, for me, I've, I've learned a ton about myself. And I've also realized that, man, I have a lot more limitations than I'd like to admit, but that's where God steps in and, 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 and where we really have to have faith and trust in Him to really go by each day.
0: One of the coolest things I've ever heard you say was on a phone call um, to me uh, when I was wrestling with moving and, you know, after packing up and leaving your hometown and everything you've ever thought you'd do forever. uh, I remember you telling, talking to me. You were going through some really challenging things. Your your wife's health has had, uh, Holly's had some trouble at times and, you know, your kids have struggled at times. It's not all been a bed of roses when you follow God. It's not always like this gold-plated path, but I remember you telling me crystal clear that every morning when you get up, there's this peace that I'm in the midst of God's will, and he's going to use us today, and And it's been cool to see that peace transcend through your whole family, you know, that over time, God has continued to work in those challenges, and, and I guess that's why I wanted you to share your story, is because I know that we may have somebody listening that the, the, the safest place to be is right in the midst of God's will. Uh, uh, not in what others direct your path or not what the world or culture directs your path, but what God stirred in your heart to do. And it's really cool to see how God has has cultivated that in your ministry over the past few years.
1: Yeah, you're right. I I think that, you know, I, I look back and, you know, I hear a lot of people say, man, I can't do what you're doing. I can't believe you've done it and what I share with them is you, you're not called to do that. You're called to do something else that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I, but one of the things that I remember is, you know, as we were making that leap of faith, um, and I remember the two, the two things that were kind of looming as we were kind of making the decision and, and, and preparing for the future was, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to quit my job. So I'm going to lose the, the, the security of a paycheck. And probably more bigger than that is we're, we're dropping medical insurance. And because of my wife's medical issues, um, and I had some medical issues actually right before that we moved here. Realized, um, Wow, I had put in so much of my own family, like a paycheck in, in medical insurance that um, God was showing me, I'm in control. I'm the yeah. one that that's going to carry you. I've <clears throat> called you, and so those those were huge leaps of faith. But once we did it, it was like there was this freedom, and there was this peace. And it doesn't mean it's easy, like you say, but we've really we've really found that you just you, you have to trust and have faith, more faith in Him, and otherwise, you, you know, you, you won't make it because you'll you'll beat yourself awesome. up. And, and so, but God's us. And, and, and so.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And and I, I appreciate you being candid and, and sharing that as we transition. I, I want to think about the current situation we're in right now. I mean, this global pandemic is real and it's, it's affecting lives all over the world. And so take us through the last two or three weeks and kind of how, you know, how are you guys holding up as a family? I, I I've seen some photos. I mean, you're, you're able to connect. You're probably talking to people in the States more than you ever have. Cause you got time. Um, but as you're quarantined, but just talk to us a little bit about how things have changed and what your, what your current needs are right now, uh, with what you're doing.
1: So I think from a family perspective, it's, it's been a, a fairly easy transition for us because uh, my kids are homeschooled, so they know that part. Um, so we, you know, obviously we're, we're staying in a lot right now, but the, the homeschooling and the schooling continues. So my wife's busy doing that. Um, I, I will say one of the benefits that I have is that I can spend more time in that homeschooling piece. So I've helped teach a little bit of science and I've been reading with them and helping with math. And so I've been able to give my wife a little bit of a break, but also really, um, really appreciate more. Of, of what it takes to do the homeschooling, because it is a huge investment of time and energy. And so, um, but I think from a family perspective, as I mentioned, it's, it's been, it's been relatively easy. I think one of the things here in Guatemala, we it's, you know, where I live, it's about 75 degrees and sunny year round. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and when this when this when this thing <laughs> when this thing started in March and I was talking to folks back in Indiana they're like it's so dreary and rainy and we can't go outside and you know you still had some of that end of winter blues and here we don't have that. And so I'll tell you those first that first week when we were staying in and I could just step outside and sit in the sun that helped immensely from a psychological and mental perspective. So that's that's been that's been huge. From a ministry perspective, um, you know, we've had to adapt. And, you know, uh, it's been hard really shutting down as a ministry. You know, we've had to close our feeding center. We've had to shut down our preschool. We've had to shut down our after-school program. One, just because it made sense. And from a safety perspective, the second piece being now with the restrictions put in place by the president, those things can't even happen. So um, we've had to change the way that we operate and so we've we've been in contact with our leaders in the different areas the local leaders and so we've been having a lot of conversations by phone and uh, we have done some visits you know they are limiting some travel and some entrances into some areas but we've we've been fortunate that we've been able to do that so we've spent a fair amount of time meeting with the families and delivering some food um And, and, and people have our numbers. So we've been taking quite a bit of, quite a bit of calls. And, um, and so, but one of the things too, which you mentioned is we also have had some more contact with people in the state. So we've had an opportunity to, to to do more from a social media perspective as a ministry, which has been good. Um, And then even being able to touch and connect base with some of our donors, I, I would say probably, and this is a selfishness on my, my part. I think one of the good things that, having this time at home, and this kind of goes more from a family perspective, is I've probably talked to my family back home more than I ever have. You know, I've been able to to call. I think in the first two weeks, I probably talked with my mom more than I did my first five years here in Guatemala by phone. So, you know, it's been good for us to be able to set that time aside to, to connect and talk with, with family back home. And I know people have been worried about how we're doing here and Um, but, but it's, it's been good and we're, we're getting through it. But I think like, like everybody, we're, we're kind of looking forward to when we're going to be able to, to open back up and, and, and return to, I don't know what normal will be, but return to somewhat of a, a, of a normal lifestyle and in ministry.
0: Sure. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joel, who's a fellow Guatemalan and just kind of let you guys talk a little bit about how, um, how it's how all this is perceived and so Joe I'll let you
2: kind of take it from there. Yeah. Um so having having myself grown up in Guatemala as a missionary kid um and primarily in the city, we grew up in the city, so the the things that my parents did there were were a little bit different but like I know that uh that there's a strict curfew all around the country um right now and the 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 president has been very strict about certain guidelines and policies that have been put in place. And in a way, I believe that that has been a good thing as the country itself um, obviously does not have the capability to, to tackle a, uh, to tackle a, 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 issue this, this large um, country worldwide or countrywide um, as a majority of healthcare system is, is just a mess. Um, and that's even more so in the rural communities where you are, um, and so I'm just, I, I just kind of have, I mean, how, how have the people that you've worked with handled this? What has, what have been their attitudes, um, around this, around this, like how, how, how much do they know what's going on? Um, are, are they handling it with like, we're trusting God and everything we're doing, or is it like, what, what God, what are you doing <laughs> right now? Um, what have been kind of the concerns mm-hmm. and struggles that you're facing and what the people you're working with have been facing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think, <clears throat> you know, as, as I've talked to people in, in the States, you know, I think the, the set of struggles and issues people are are, are facing, even throughout the, the United States, is different depending on where you're at. Yeah. Um, and then when you're internationally and when you're in a developing country it, it's you know it's you know we're we're not like a Haiti right because they're, they're that 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 system and and that that country's very different than what we see here in Guatemala where there is an upper class there is some development yep, yep. um but 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 rurally it's not like that you know it's 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 tough but I would say Uh, from, from a perspective of how it's been handled from the president. So the president, I think I just saw, he, he just went into office. He just entered his hundredth day. So, you know, three months in, so he's been thrown into the fire. I've been impressed with him because first he's a, he is a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so I think that he brings that to the table. And so I think he's been able to see that using that as a lens to be able to say, okay, I I understand what we're what we're when we're talking about a pandemic. I don't he, clearly the coronavirus is a little bit new in that sense, but from a pandemic's perspective, there has to be restrictions put in place. So he was very good very early on of, of jumping on there. So he did things like um the curfew. So basically from four PM to four AM, no one is allowed to leave their house unless, you know, they're talking about essential workers. Yeah. So police medical, and and even fast food delivery is considered essential. Um, So that, that, I think that's helped curb it. In addition to that, he's basically shut down what they consider non-essential work. So even during the day, a lot of non-essential work has been completely shut down. And so what we're seeing now about six weeks in, in a country of 17, over 17 million people, I believe, we have... I think 350 active cases, yeah, uh, which is pretty incredible. Now now, I don't think they're testing as much as they should, but 350 cases out of 17 million, I think the, the position the, the, the policies and restrictions that the president has put into place has done a phenomenal job in restricting the spread. And in addition to that, I don't know what percentage. I don't know if it's 50 percent or 25 percent, but I've, it's pretty high the percentage of those infected are deportees that have come back from the United States. So they've come back (laughs) in a plane already infected. And so the good news is they were able to detain them, put them in, in, in these centralized locations to treat them. And then the people who were on there who, who weren't infected, but were exposed are in quarantine. So um, as far as that, that has been very, very effective. And I've been, very surprised at how quickly they put those into place and really how well people have followed. Um, you know, there, it's funny because you see people that are getting arrested for being out at night or being out when they shouldn't, but generally people, people are staying in. But with, with that, there comes, that bring that has brought on a lot of problems because, you know, we, what they put in place is, is, Is limiting the spread of this virus but what it's brought and I don't know if this is the right word it's brought another pandemic which is like a hunger pandemic because now people and people where we generally work are the rural areas we are seeing people who are no longer able to work so they work hand to mouth meaning they go to work each day knowing that the money that they get is going to buy their corn their tortilla for that day Mm -hmm. and if you're a dad and you have a large family, which most of these families do, let's say it's uh, a dad, a mom, and, you know, a medium-sized family is five or six kids. If you don't have your job now, if you can't leave your house, you have no money, you have no food, and you're scared. And that's what we're seeing is as I'm talking to people, they they are very scared. And they're not scared of the virus because they're worried about what they're going to eat tomorrow. And so – it's been a challenge. I mean, two days into these restrictions, I was getting calls of people that were panicking. They're like, we have nothing. And so that that's been really tough for us because, um, you know, we it, it and, I, and I'm sure that's probably some of the discussion in the States. I, I'm a little ignorant on what's going on in the States because I don't watch the news, but there is this discussion, right, of, Are the restriction, you know, the the pros and cons of of the restrictions and the stay at home. And here we're seeing it because there is no unemployment. There is no bailout. And so these people are faced with the reality that I don't know when we're going back to work and I don't know how I am going to feed my family. And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to encourage the people we talk with, Um, you know, we've we've when we've met with them, we've prayed with them. Um, and then we've been trying to get basic, um, basic food supplies to them. So I think, I don't know the total so far. We've handed out like 10,000 pounds of food, um, to hundreds of families, which has been thousands of meals and we're, we're getting ready to do our next round. And so today I'm going to buy, it's about 8,000 pounds of food. And so what we're doing, we'll bag those up. And, and take those to the family we know. Um, one of the things that they're doing here is um, they're raising white flags. And so we're seeing a lot of those. So people who basically don't have food, they're putting white flags outside of the places they live, basically saying, we have no food. We have nothing. Help us. And so
2: um,
1: I was talking to a pastor yesterday who lives in a town. It isn't real rural. And um, we helped to, We did a food drop with his church three weeks ago, recording another one, coordinating another one for next week. And I said, are you seeing red flag or white flags? And he said, just in my block, there is five. And he said, there are hundreds more in the town that he lives. And he said, in fact, we're seeing red flags and red flags basically is worse than a white flag. And I never heard they were raising red flags. So it's, it's real. The the implications are real. And this is, you know, um, you know, I think at some point the government's going to have to make a decision. Um,
0: Have you heard any talk into opening things back up a little bit there, or is it still pretty planned for the short term to be really tight?
1: They, what I like about this is they're doing it on a week to week basis. Every sun, every Sunday, But there is the belief that this is going to be extended, and I'm meaning I don't think this is going to ease up um, maybe, m- maybe the earliest middle to, to end of May, and you know, I've heard some say June. So what we've shared with people is, listen, this isn't, this isn't going to be over soon. No so you know you just need to prepare and so as you know it's hard for me when I'm handing out food to these families and I'm telling them and I'm glad you have this food but you have to make it last you have to make it last you know weeks not days and so it's 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 been been a challenge
0: well that leads me to kind of our final question as we kind of wrap up you know uh, um, share with us your website talk to us about what what our listeners can pray for, our FSI people and team and, and, and supporters can pray for, can donate towards, they can donate to our website as well. I have a location on our website where they can give to FSI Michigan and money can be designated to Hands of Grace Guatemala. So share some things that... In the short term, like um, what some of your needs are and what you're trying to do with this, the feeding that you're doing. Sure.
1: So, you know, right now, pretty much all the funds that, that we're receiving is going 100 percent to what we're calling emergency food baskets. We're trying to feed people and we're not doing this just to the people in our ministry. We're trying to help everybody. And in fact, I just made a delivery last week to um, a friend who uh, is a guide up the volcano. And so that's generally he has a pretty good job because a good portion of Guatemalan's uh, economy is based on tourism, yeah, and with that shut down now and for the foreseeable future, he called me last week and said, "I have nothing, I have nothing. Can you help? The government's not helping me and so we know that the needs are increasing and will continue to to prolong and so you know right now from from a prayer perspective, you know what? Uh, You know, my initial, when when we first started this as a family, we were praying, we still pray, but uh, we were praying together as a family each, each day. And, you know, I'll be honest, my first prayer was in this pandemic quickly and let's get us back to normal. And I quickly learned that was pretty short-sighted and pretty weak and shallow prayer. Um, You know, what I've really learned and really what God showed me is that through this, God's will will be done. His name will be glorified. People will come to know him. Uh, I've been impressed with some of the folks that we've talked to in our ministry who who have said, you know, all, all we can do is pray. Um, and so, um, you know, that I, I think people, what we've seen in our ministry, people are are getting, uh, their, you know, their eyes are opening in ways that they've never done before because they can really see that as humans, as men, we really don't have control over much when we think that we do. Um, so in terms of prayer, again, God's will would be done. Pray, too, for discernment for, for us as a ministry, because there are so many needs. We can't help everybody, and God doesn't expect us to help sure. everybody. But those that he puts in our place, you know, help us to open our eyes to those and, and help them as they can. And, in the, and really right now it's those physical needs, right? Medical and, and, and food. And um and then fin- financial provision, and, and he's continued to provide for us. And so, you know, we're stepping forward and buying eight thousand pounds of food today um, with with fit.
0: And what's that cost?
1: Uh, I will find out when I get there. We'll probably be spending, <laughs> uh, we'll probably be spending maybe three or four thousand dollars today for our next round of of food, and it'll be gone. And And we'll deliver that next week. So um, but the way that we're doing this is, you know, we're not trying to help thousands of families. We're trying to help, you know, a very specific group of 100 to 200 families and trying to get them, you know, meals as as long as we can. And so um, we're hoping that will that will last them, last them a while. So, um, again, any funds that we're receiving Mm -hmm. right now is going directly to, to those, to those, uh, um, food buys. So, um,
0: and what, what's your website? So
1: you can find us, uh, www.handsofgrace.net and probably the, the biggest way that we communicate through social media, you can find us at hands of grace, Guatemala on Facebook and on Instagram.
0: Cool. Awesome. And, and um, I really appreciate you giving us the time on a day where you're getting ready to pack up and go buy food. And I know it's busy, even in the quarantine, there's just a lot to do. And, and I appreciate your time this morning, um, dealing with our high tech te- technical difficulties of podcasting that we do here. And, no, but, um, but Doug, we're praying for you. We love your family um, immensely. You're an inspiration you're, a, you're, you're an extension of our family. And, uh, I just, um, I'm, I'm excited to see how God is multiplying a few loaves of bread and some fish through your ministry to impact uh, people's lives in, in, in so many different ways. And so, uh, to our listeners, I encourage you to check out their website, follow them on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find all of those links on our Friendship Sports website. You can go there, just click on Partners, and they're right there at the top, Hands of Grace, and you can find all their information. Um, uh, Alyssa got the chance to lead some uh, an FSI group down there this past summer, was hoping to do that again soon, but obviously those things are on hold. But you can just learn more about their ministry and how to support them. They've got some great videos. Anything else, Doug, you want to say as we kind of close? Uh, no, just
1: thank you for your time. And, and you know, I, I know that this time is difficult for, for, for everybody, right? And so, you know, my prayer is, you know, as we've had time to spend more time together and time in-house that people are finding that uh, they're making an initiative or a priority to, to draw closer to God and draw closer to their family. Because I think this is a time where, you know, you know, I, I, have heard the comment. I don't know who, who made it is never waste a good crisis. And so I I think it's, it's up to us to really use this time wisely. and, and, And I just pray that others are, are finding time to do that.
2: Awesome. Great. Thank you so
1: much, Doug. Thank you guys. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this episode with our interview of Doug Harold and Hands of Grace Ministries in Antigua, Guatemala. Friendship Sports International is a ministry that comes alongside and supports ministries abroad, uh, as well as focusing on discipleship through mission and service here in the States. If you want to learn more about Friendship Sports or Hands of Grace, check out our website, www.friendshipsports.com. If you go to FSI Michigan uh, on the donation link, you can donate directly to Hands of Grace. We'll be uh, providing them with some support as they try to raise funds for food during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So if that interests you, you can go directly to handsofgrace.net or you can go to Friendship Sports, go to FSI Michigan and make a donation and designate it to Hands of Grace at Guatemala through our website. Again, thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week as we talk to our FSI missionaries, Katie and Mario Valesquez in La Vinta, Honduras, as they are in similar situation, and Doug and Holly, not as many years in, uh, but they will talk about the ways in which they're trying to share the gospel and, and spread the love of Christ uh, through their services during this time, how Honduras is dealing with the pandemic and what it's like to live in a rural village there and try to support others by delivering food and other needed supplies. So next week, we'll be talking with Katie and Mario Velasquez and FSI Honduras.